0: Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. I have a wonderful guest today who is actually at. The Mind Under Matter Campout Festival gave a wonderful talk that was very well attended, and people were so interested that we had to cut it off because we had other activities about to start. But people, people uh, could not get enough of my guest today. Keith Markman <laughs> is joining me. Keith, thanks so much for joining me.
1: Uh, thanks so much for having me. And um, I'm still reflecting on the Mind Under Matter. Uh, festival it was a really good time yeah what'd you think uh it was uh (laughs) it was just so interesting uh it was just such an interesting combination of of things uh comedy and music and then the science i thought what was really cool about it was uh you know you had people who were fans of the podcast but not necessarily you know scientists per se but they had this Uh, Tremendous curiosity, you know, attending all of these talks. uh, You know, you can tell the audience that (laughs) I think it rained for probably about two days or so, but even in the pouring rain. Uh, people came it out to hear these Whoa, things. whoa, whoa! Stop <laughs>
0: slandering my festival. It rained for four to eight hours one one day. It didn't rain Friday. It didn't rain Sunday. It didn't what rain I'm saying Saturday.
1: is that that's how powerful yeah. the festival was. It didn't bother. Right. It didn't bother people.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's <laughs> true. And, and actually, yeah, it was we when we made a triumphant return after the rain. That was right. that was uh uh super fun and uh and you guys made the you guys did the smart move and got an rv for it so exactly that's right. you, you did it correctly mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. that's definitely the move um yeah that was I, I was the most nervous that the science talks wouldn't be as well attended as i wanted them um to be because they're kind of the most important part for me obviously i have a show that i interview scientists i'm passionate about this stuff and so i was i was very happy to see i should have known and i i did know but i i didn't know for a hundred percent that my audience was going to be as up for as many live science talks as they were so that was uh it was really cool Mm -hmm. um so thanks again for being a part of it so tell uh Tell the uh, tell the listeners that uh, the main many listeners that didn't get a chance to see you there. Tell them about uh, your work and yourself and your background and what you do.
1: Well, let's see. Uh, I grew up in a, uh, I guess, fairly posh uh, suburb of uh, New York on Long Island, uh, Great Neck, and um, I found myself at the University of, of Michigan. Uh, the folks over there um, I was in a dorm room, I was in a dorm, uh, or a floor where there were a lot of, uh, Midwesterners or Michiganders and they made fun of my New York accent. So I used to say uh, wall and pole and throw the ball against uh, the wall and i have some coffee. And so, uh, to sort of mock them back, I would, uh, and out my accent so i started saying sausage oh, yeah? and water and uh, things like that and now uh, i don't know what i sound like anymore but uh, I, the, the new york part seems to have uh, receded uh, to some extent yeah. although when i go back to new york and ask for water they're like water so you know i have to, I yeah. have to go back to that um you, soda or pop uh, i've always said soda yeah but again just that. to fit in i did start saying pop
0: yeah. Uh, you throw popular. <laughs> I'm when you're right. in Michigan,
1: for sure. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> Eat some um, cheese curds, blend in a little bit. <laughs> right.
1: Um, I went to graduate school at uh, Indiana University. <clears throat> I did some postdoctoral work at Ohio State. So I guess it was a veritable uh, tour, as we like to say here, uh, of the Midwest. And uh, I found myself uh, with a job here at uh, Ohio University. And, um, I guess, you know, in my, uh, graduate work, uh, I fell in love with a, uh, with a phenomenon called, uh, counterfactual thinking. And, uh, this is if only, or, uh, what if thinking and the, uh, I, I, fell into it quite by accident. Uh, the person who wound up becoming my advisor Uh, kind of seduced me with the following story, and I I just mean intellectually. Um, He told me the story about, um, and this was a true story in Canada, of a paraplegic uh, couple who wanted to um, celebrate their anniversary. Uh, They had a car that was uh, handicap-equipped, but it was raining that night, and so they decided not to uh, take their car so they call for a taxi the taxi driver comes sees that he's going to have to deal with these two people and he says sorry and he drives away so these folks wind up getting into their car uh it's got all the elements of a tragic story they it's raining uh they go over a bridge they lose control of the car and uh, one of them dies and one of them is seriously injured now uh what was psychologically interesting about this was the uh, headline that was in the paper the next day, and the headline was "Cab Driver's Refusal Cited in Death." Right, with the mm-hmm. idea of being that you know the, the counterfactual cab is bay. if the yeah right if the cab driver had uh, you know uh, taken them then they wouldn't you know they wouldn't have been injured or they wouldn't have died. And I, I thought this was interesting because that is the first thing that pops to mind, right? I mean, the first thing that pops to mind is essentially how one how the uh, negative outcome could have been prevented. But then if you think about it for a while, uh, that doesn't seem right either. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it really the cab driver's fault that they died? And in fact, you could yeah. argue, well, actually, it's a combination of things—the fact that you know that, that that they were handicapped, it was raining, things of that nature—but it just struck me that those kinds of thoughts come to mind so readily. Sometimes they do help us to establish cause, but then sometimes they could be just sort of, you know, not
0: uh, connected to that at all. I often try to use counterfactual arguments when talking with bill collectors. I'd be <laughs> like, you know, I rightfully I shouldn't owe you. This money because had you not come into my life at Very this good. time, I would have borrowed all of this. And, <laughs> right? How, yeah, do, they, how you, do they react to those arguments? Oh, they love it. They're like totally. We we completely get that argument. You are now debt free. <laughs> right. uh, fair is fair, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah, it works every time. Right, hundred percent.
1: So, uh, you know, after after thinking about these things for a while, um, we decided uh, we came up with this hypothesis that maybe you know the reason why people engage in this kind of thinking is because it's functional to do so and so mm-hmm. we, we drew a distinction between two different uh kinds of counterfactuals uh mainly the direction of the counterfactual comparison so uh an upward counterfactual would be you know it could have been better right so i'm imagining a better outcome i got a b on an exam Uh, I should have gotten an A. I wish I got an A. I could have gotten an A. Uh, A downward counterfactual, on the other hand, what you're doing is you're imagining a worse reality. Uh, Mm. So it could be something like, you know, this used to happen to me at Michigan, actually. I thought I was uh, pre-med in the early going. And I was in one of these uh, chemistry weed-out classes, you know, that a thousand people take. Everyone takes the same exam. And I was very good at getting the mean uh, which basically amounted to a B minus. Um, I wasn't happy with my B minuses, but I would come back. Could to have the, been worse. Well, exactly. But <laughs> but it's interesting. Uh, you know what value does that have? So I would come back to the dorm, um, find out my grade, and learn that I got whatever it was. It was like a twelve out of twenty or thirteen out of twenty would be the mean, and I would be bummed. And then my uh, friends. Who I was about to eat lunch with, would say, so what's the problem? You did better than half the people in the class, and you're at the University of Michigan. So yeah. it's actually pretty good. And that would be enough to get me to stop uh, from ruminating. But there's a problem, right? So these kinds of counterfactuals have costs and benefits. So when you think about how you could have done something better, you think about a lost opportunity, you think about you know these sorts of things... Uh, The cost is you're going to feel uh, negative emotions, uh, in particular regret, which is the, you know, typical um, consequence of an upward counterfactual. But this kind of thinking could potentially help you prepare for the future, right? So by thinking about the things that you could have done that you should have done, uh, maybe you can implement those sorts of things in the future. So it may be functional to gauge in upward counterfactual thinking for learning purposes, even if they do leave you feeling kind of bummed uh, at first. Mm. The downward counterfactual, uh, that was great for me. Uh, I immediately felt better when people said you did better than half the class at Michigan. And what did that do? That taught me how to keep getting B minuses. (laughs) (laughs) And and I didn't become pre-med which is fine. But in other words, you know, uh, that can provide a sense of relief. Uh, you can feel fortunate, you know, thank God, worse. but, but it, the, the cost is that it may leave you sort of complacent, right. Or right. to maintain the status quo. Um, there are all sorts of other things I, I, I could say about that, but, um, <clears throat> both counterfactuals can actually have the reverse, um, emotional impact. Like, Like an upward counterfactual could actually be inspiring. Like if you almost accomplish something and you feel like you're almost there, right? Uh, A downward counterfactual could actually be kind of scary. Uh, You're pulling out of a parking space and uh, you're almost hit by a car, almost hit by a truck because – you didn't bother to check your uh, rear view mirror or side mirror, right? And so you're going to be sitting there. It's amazing there. how
0: vividly yes. you can see that counterfactual. <laughs> exactly. Well. And,
1: uh, you know, that's not making you leap up and down for joy, right? Yeah. Uh, nor is it, uh, you don't really feel relief uh, per se. You just sit there thinking, oh my God, you know. It makes I, an impact. I, I, I could, uh, you know, I, I could have been killed, right? And so it's actually kind of scary. So, yeah. so, so, these things can kind of, you know, uh, they can, they can work in different ways, but the basic hyper right, salient exactly.
0: visualizations of, of these, what it could have should have and, and these yeah. downward counterfactuals of, of nearly crashing your car. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's no way of measuring how many, how many potential future crashes they, they helped you avoid because of, because of those it's, many close uh, calls along the way. It's a
1: possibility. It's a possibility. Of course, I, I think you know that uh, uh, quite often we do things uh, impulsively or quickly on a daily basis. And so, right, right, um, right. If we have Soon time forgotten. to think about the lesson, uh, we might implement it. But quite often we're just in a hurry and the same thing <laughs> is probably going to yeah. happen. Um, yeah. Some of the most uh, poignant uh, downward counterfactuals of this sort uh, are actually reported by people who uh, you know, survive 9/11, for instance. There are some uh, crazy stories, uh, and really, uh, books uh, like Seth, this
0: where, um, yeah. uh, what's his name? The guy that that uh, created Family Guy, um, right, uh, right? Seth McFarlane Seth McFarlane It's funny
1: that you yeah. uh, mentioned that. So yeah, yeah. Um, apparently, this has happened to him not once but twice. <laughs> where he was scheduled to be on a plane flight. I don't know what the second one was. I know the first one was a nine eleven. Uh He was scheduled to be on that flight. And then, uh, you know, he switched, you know, maybe a week or two before you know, the nine <laughs> eleven. Now, what's interesting about him, and apparently this happened again, the, the odds of this seem astronomical, but his reaction is kind of like, um, yeah, you know, my uh, secretary made those changes so like he doesn't feel like it was his own choice it was yeah. just sort of like yeah you know this happens to me all, this happens all the time right yeah. you know i'm yeah. going on this flight and then it gets changed to this flight but it, how has he
0: not ma- made some like cartoon version of final destination for, that's ah, very wacky for all I know,
1: I'm, sure, I'm sure he's thought about it but he yeah. he doesn't take this stuff that seriously. Right. Um, and I think it has to do with what you mentioned, which is the the uh vividness uh mm. of the counterfactual world so you know there are people who uh you know they were supposed to go into work that day, you know, but there it was also the first day of school uh for some people they were dropping off their kids around nine thirty or so when when the planes hit um, they really feel like they nor like they normally would have been there on any other day they would have been there you know they they can imagine themselves being there on a really high floor where the you know from where they they couldn't have escaped um and and then even closer um i read uh just a detail of um somebody who was waiting for the elevator uh as you can imagine you have to you had to wait for the elevator for a long time because it went up whatever it was 110 stories and somebody uh saw somebody in the elevator as the elevator door was closing and they said could you hold that you know could you hold that and you know the the person was rude or something and didn't just didn't they, didn't, but, they didn't
0: hold that. and then i mean wow. and, 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 and
1: this is just crazy and then the the, the planes yeah. hit, and, and i mean if you were in the elevator at the time you know that right. was no good and so you know people are left with this i don't think that in cases like that they feel so fortunate they feel it's really kind of creepy actually like yeah. maybe 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 they should have been there uh or they can they can imagine being there right
0: yeah interesting well i mean i i feel like i feel like counterfactuals are such a part of our everyday life too i mean it's easy to look at a, a thing yeah. like like nine eleven and and uh again brains love salience uh but but there's I mean, I think just in assessing who we are, I, I have several thoughts about mm-hmm. uh, the, the way that we it, it, there's some of our judgments of our counterfactuals are dependent on where we are now. So if we look back on like when we yeah. uh, the, this job that we lost four years ago or whatever, if you're doing well now well, that was the kick in the pants that you needed that opened the new doors that did this and that. Mm-hmm. If you're doing poorly now, that was the nail in the coffin that you never quite uh, yeah. recovered from. And it's it's the exact same action had happened, but your perception now in the future is how, yeah. Yeah. how you judge that counterfactual. That, that, that's a great
1: insight, actually, because it's kind of like uh, you're judging uh, you know, what could have been with... Uh, you know, we often talk about uh, thinking about memories, right, through a rose-colored lens. Here we're thinking about hypotheticals through a rose-colored lens. So, yeah. I mean, if 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 the job uh, turns out to be good, then you might be prone to also think, you know, this, this was meant to be, you know, yeah. what happened. Um, whereas in the other case, you know, you might make the attribution that, uh, you know, you're being followed along by a black cloud or, uh maybe you just deserve misfortune or something like that
0: yeah yeah and and also i i often think about how uh speaking of memory the, the the way in which we kind of um uh form and and kind of reflect on these highlights throughout our life i i think are dependent on on the um on on kind of the distance of uh, that, the, that the imagined counterfactuals create. So what I mean by that is, hmm. um, and I'm, I'm going to say a whole lot of things that are Please. ultimately going to mean nothing. <laughs> um, uh, is that if you, uh, you and I just met and, and, and you say, you say something like, Hey, how did this camp out festival come to be? Or you say like, what, what were, what were three of the biggest things in your career or something like that? And I reflect back, I go, well, starting comedy. And and then I guess, you know, with the camp out, like, I guess meeting Ramin was a pivotal moment. So you have all of these. And and then, oh, if it weren't for COVID, things would have gone differently. So you have all of these kind of pivotal moments. And I could think of like 10 different things that I could tell you, but you only have time for three. And so the three that I'm picking, what I'm measuring that based on, subconsciously, I believe, is the difference between where I am now and where I would imagine myself being yeah. had that particular pivotal moment not occurred and mm-hmm. something else mm-hmm. had occurred. So, so even our assessment of who we are and the memories that we look back on, I think are, are really based on a lot of these counterfactual thinking
1: yeah absolutely i mean they yeah you know they re- they really do help you uh connect you know the past to the present and sort of yeah help help you make meaning um about you know where you where you stand and certainly understanding where you are now as compared to where you were again like you said uh sometimes you know these could be self-serving but uh mm if we, if we didn't have this ability to to do that then we'd have a very <laughs> we'd have a very incoherent sense of our of of ourselves you know there there'd be no comparison point
0: yeah yeah it's funny all all of any i i feel like a lot of modern or not even modern i mean this is like a very buddhist approach too but a, a lot of modern gurus and self-help people and and this and that often The goal is trying to rid yourself of comparing yourself to others or or hypothetical selves of uh, you know the the chasm between um, the chasm between who we are and uh, and who we imagined we could be if we had only worked harder or had better luck or whatever is this thing that we get psychologically swallowed up in and that's unhealthy.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, I I think that approach makes a lot of sense, you know, to the extent that uh, certainly to the extent that there's no future to improve on. Right. Mm -hmm. So you can spend a lot of time ruminating about lost selves. This is the person that I could have been until X happened or Y happened, or I wasn't able to get that job or I couldn't go to school in that particular discipline or whatever. And, you know, you could argue that, uh, Maybe you can glean a little bit of meaning out of that, but, you know, maybe it's, it's dysfunctional. And that if, if you learn to kind of, I think with mindfulness, what you're trying to do is sort of accept those thoughts. Uh, and then you just sort of let them go by in the Zen stream, um, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the fact of the matter is, is that, um, you know, I'm going to hazard a guess that the majority of us don't naturally uh, Engage in mindfulness, uh, and so what happens? Instead, I consider
0: myself a pretty mindful person, but I still I love to sink my teeth into a right. good rumination. I right. like to curl up in a fetal position and just kind of
1: <laughs> just kind of start and, and counting see, through that's, all that's the, the regrets. Thing. That's the thing, right? I think regrets <laughs> can be, uh, you know, there, there's a reason why our brain does this, right? Because yeah. it's, it's making a comparison between where you are and where you could be, and if you could actually get there you know, then you might learn something. It turns into rumination if there's really nothing you can do about it. The other facet of rumination, of course, is that you can't really control it. (laughs) So you have all these thoughts coming into your head. They're happening automatically. And, you know, that's when you uh, scrunch up into the fetal position.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, and and consciousness is such a grand exaggerator as well that that the the things – that th- when i get a nice you know rumination zone where i'm really getting a nice happy rumination on it's it's amazing or not even sometimes i'm having a wonderful day and yes. the silliest dumbest memory will pop into my head The nothing memory of some interaction i had and, sure. and, and like i've i ordered the wrong thing in a starbucks or something something no one would ever know other than me and like i said i fumbled on a word and i'm uh, suddenly that's popping into my head three years after the fact thanks brain
1: i think that this whole brain is you know overall it's trying to do the right thing
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's trying to uh, adapt
1: um and that, like you know, ultimately, again, you know, the, it, it behooves us to engage in this kind of thinking. But uh, there's a lot of chaos in the system, and so right. uh, of course I know, and everyone knows what you're talking about. That uh, right, you can fixate on on one of on some of the silliest things. I, I wanted to bring up, by the way, I don't know whether sure. you, you were thinking about this, but. Uh, um, I had the pleasure of catching your final, uh, your your final
0: uh, comedic uh, my stand up uh, act, your act. Oh, about the CrossFit stuff. Oh, there—that there, was a lot about rumination. So, the, the,
1: besides that whole thing being brilliant uh, in so many different ways, uh, there was a very interesting thing that you said about. Am I getting this right? There, there was somebody leading this group who asked you. Uh, uh, which, yeah. you, which year of your life would you remove if you could? And yeah, you said that what was over. funny was that people were right on it. <laughs> they were like, "Yeah, yeah 1999." And yeah, you said, yeah. "Wow, there's for you. There's a lot to process there." Which, yeah, yeah, which
0: year it should be? <laughs> yeah, I only get to pick one year. That's not fair, right? um Yeah, I love. I do. I love a good rumination. I. I so um I, I i'm i'm curious yeah um boy th- this is this is probably getting away from your work and and maybe not something that you care to even speculate on but i i, I we we talk a lot about um evolution and a sure. lot of different uh wildlife and animal behavior comparisons mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and things like that on on the show and and do you if you were to venture a guess, would you would you say that humans are a bit more with our with our ability to seemingly our ability to think much further into the future than mm-hmm. um, other species are, are yeah. able to maybe we're able to look back further as well. So that's a tough thing to speculate on, but it seems to be the case. Do you think that we're we're maybe tortured by this stuff? consequently uh, a bit more than a lot of a lot of other species um
1: yeah i mean there's no question we have this highly developed cerebral cortex right. which is supposed to differentiate us <laughs> from all of the other animals and uh well certainly it's allowed human beings to kind of be at the top of the hierarchy right? Yeah. Compared to the rest of the animal kingdom. And we can invent things and do creative things and we can help people and we can help animals. And There's a lot of good stuff that we can do. But in the process, uh, you know, if you take an organism and give it the ability to think freely, if that's what we're doing, I don't even want to get into free <laughs> will and determinism, but let's just right. say for a moment, uh, you give people <laughs> the ability to think about a whole bunch of things, uh, you know, these kinds of comparisons and self-awareness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, millions of people are on antidepressants, right? And yeah. we're starting to, to learn that, in fact, the uh, neurochemical uh, explanation for depression may not even be correct or it may have to do with something, something going on in the brain with inflammation or whatever. But again, the point being that uh, people can get themselves into these uh, terrible states, right, mm. if they're going to ruminate on what could have been and things like this. Uh, th- there are people who refer to this, um, this idea of the ability to look into the past and at least imagine the future as mental time travel. That has a kind of a yeah. fun name, doesn't
0: it? It is. It, it <laughs> and, makes it. It makes it sound a lot fancier than, than, the, than exactly. the everyday experience yes, uh, that yes. some of us are running from. <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: it's funny. I uh, I actually taught a seminar. Yeah, because I'm very self aware of that term. Like it just sounds silly. Uh, I taught a that seminar. Sounds kinda cool it it sounds kind, kind of cool. It was kind of cool, but so I mean, I I taught a seminar a couple of years ago. Uh, That was called mental time travel. And I I made the following joke, which you may think is slightly lame, but I I felt like I had to say this at the beginning. I I said, welcome to, you know, seminar mental time travel. Uh, I just want to say that uh, next year, uh, I'm really looking forward to teaching a course about actual time travel. Uh, you know, that kind of broke the ice a little bit by by next year, you know, we're going to figure out how to do that. Right. But anyway, um, (laughs) mental time travel, um, the argument is that in fact, no other, uh, animals can do this. Um, yeah, there are some arguments that like uh, scrub jays and, and some other animals. Yeah, can. yeah,
0: a crow can kind of figure <laughs> right. things out a few a few steps ahead. We're talking like three steps ahead to get a piece of food that is two minutes away, right. which is a little bit of a different scenario than what humans right. are up to. But like you suggest,
1: this makes us uh, special. Yeah, uh, but it also it may uh, drive us crazy. I suppose yeah. you could argue. I mean. It's the opposite too, though, right? Uh, we can fantasize about things.
0: Mm, that's true.
1: Uh, we we can imagine, you know, we can imagine brighter futures. There's 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 hope. There there are things to look forward to, right? It doesn't
0: have to be. You can build negative. fantastical machines and structures and imagine things that we can bring into the. We, we can manipulate our environment like no other species and, and yeah and well
1: right that right we, we can do those for kinds of things worse. yes and and that puts us on on top of this hierarchy but i mean you know you you can look forward to you know uh uh meeting somebody a potential relationship partner right whatever yeah. reality may not be nearly as as good as what uh you know, as positive as what you may have imagined, but, uh, you know, it, it felt good to do that. And it probably motivated you to maybe to get out of the house. I mean, some people are worried that, you know, I'm going to make a terrible impression when I yeah. meet people. Uh, I don't want to go to a party. I don't want to attend, uh, mum fest. Cause I'm not like those other people, Yeah, <laughs> you know, but you know, if, if you can uh, imagine, Uh, circumstances or conditions under which these things could turn out positively I mean it does motivate you to like you know um, get up get out Mm -hmm. you know do something
0: yeah so yeah absolutely yeah yeah, they can send you both ways. Well, I mean, I, I guess if if I were to if I were to try to make a philosophical case for humans being the most miserable species on <laughs> earth, I would say <laughs> I I would say that you you take any brain on earth and you multiply its ability to imagine scenarios and then and then and then you you make the assumption that that any brain with any sort of consciousness is is probably going to have a very uh like exaggerated inner mind's eye of said imagined scenarios and then and then you couple that with probably every species on earth having a relatively same ish amount of negativity bias, meaning that yeah. that the way that you're going to evaluate or remember or project into the future is going to be skewed at less less than. Less than fifty percent positive, uh, yeah, then, okay. then, 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 and you calculate everything up, and you you go, well, there you go. Humans are having the experiencing the most number of miserable uh, potential future scenarios and reflective ruminations.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that that's absolutely true, and it's kind of like you know, yeah, you, you you wanted to be able to think about things and evaluate yeah. things and compare things here you go and yeah, uh right. you know we can we can really think ourselves into uh very very desperate feelings there's no question so,
0: so this is cool so the, so this was the ideas that first uh, this idea of just counterfactual thinking this is what first grabbed you yeah like like very very early on in your uh-huh. career as, as we're as we're speaking of counterfactuals and the sliding doors that to made you arrive I might at have position not uh
1: had somebody tell me the story
0: right so I right. might have
1: right gotten an interest in something else and wouldn't even be in academia yeah there are a lot of counterfactuals for
0: sure right so then what was kind of the next um next stage for you yeah
1: um I, you know I've maintained an interest in that uh over the years I I think it's still my uh sort of uh, bread and butter but uh you know i've looked at uh things uh you know relating to regret uh sorry regret uh and also uh nostalgia uh again uh, i'm very you know mental time travel uh oriented uh trying to figure out you know so nostalgia it's a it's a very interesting emotion um, there's actually quite a bit of debate uh, in the field about uh, how exactly nostalgia is experienced. Um, certainly, uh, nostalgia is experienced positively uh, in the sense that, you know, what you're doing is you're, you're handpicking a series of memories. And again, the accuracy of those memories is questionable. But be that as it may. <laughs> uh, you're going back to a time right where perhaps you feel like you were you know being more of your true self or your authentic self or just just a time when you felt like you were you were happy and you had less responsibilities and things were simpler um, and you know simply reflecting uh, on those times can be a very positive experience one might ask, what about just thinking happy thoughts or positive thoughts? But it turns out that, uh, thinking nostalgically, um, as opposed to just any happy thought, uh, confers more of a sense of meaning and purpose, uh, to your life. Interesting. Uh, It can actually, um, a bunch of people did some studies, uh, during the pandemic, uh, just about, you know, uh, people were, were shut in um couldn't leave their homes whatever couldn't see their families friends and uh some studies were done to show that you know basically using a nostalgia intervention uh having people reflect on nostalgic times uh decreased uh. people's uh sense of loneliness during the pandemic right uh. so and uh you know can do a vari- a variety of things Uh, Can can I, can I ask uh,
0: what's the, what's the control? What's the, so, so you said, you said when you have a, you, 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 you say just, you give them a positive scenario to imagine or something like that. Can you give me an example? The
1: the classic uh, paradigm that's used, it's very simple. Um, The event reflection task, you basically ask some people, this is the control to recall an ordinary memory that's it. Mm. Uh, for other people, what you do is you provide, because <laughs> it's not entirely clear what people think nostalgia is, but you provide people with the, uh, literally, the Merriam-Webster dictionary um, definition, and then say, recall you know a time in your past when you felt nostalgic, consistent with this definition that I just gave you. And so that's often used as the control. And so, what you find is relative to the control. You know, people report more positive experiences, more of a sense of meaning. Uh, you know, thing, things of this nature.
0: But but you also said that that in addition, n- nostalgia um, rates higher in in uh, positive having a, a positive impact on people than than just other positive thoughts exactly like what's what's an example of a uh, of just a random positive thought that you would uh, use in a study to
1: yeah um is it it a future thought
0: or a present thought
1: it could be just simply uh imagine that it's your birthday today okay uh you know imagine that you just uh you know you just received a a gift from somebody imagine that you just heard some good news right and so this is compared to nostalgia. And the, the idea of nostalgia is that it combines a number of different things. You're sort of going back in time and you're you're thinking about a time that you wish you could return to. And that kind of thinking is supposed to enhance a sense of meaning, you know, is, is sort of imbues the past with meaning. And the idea that that carries over to the present as well, as opposed to just simply a happy thought. So it's the process of going back in time, thinking about it, thinking why, thinking about why this was a good time. You know, like why? Why was I so happy then? Um, what was I doing at the time? Um, sometimes people will feel nostalgic about how they used to be uh, nostalgic. Or in other words, yes, I, or they'll be nostalgic about lost opportunities, but they'll they'll think about it in a positive way. So I remember back when I was in college and it seemed like, you know, there were so many different possibilities and I would sit around with my friends and we would talk about maybe I could do this and maybe I could do this and maybe I could do this. But as it turns out, for a variety of reasons, you know, life forced me down a different path, but it helps me to go back and think about those times and kind of make make meaning of them. Um, It can lead people to believe things like, you know, this is what what I'm doing now is what I was supposed to do. Um, Hmm. That was me when I was young. Um, Now that I'm older, I have more responsibilities. It's kind of a meaning making process. Now, so, so there are some folks that say that it's predominantly positive. Um, what's interesting though is that in fact, uh, it probably produces a range of emotions. Uh, it's, it's, it's actually a pretty bittersweet emotion. And, you know, people have different theories about this, but I think one of the issues is that it becomes bittersweet, uh, to the extent that you feel like you're you know, present self par- pales in comparison to your past self.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah.
1: So like if, if you can just sort of immerse yourself in, in that world of nostalgia and people can do that in different ways, uh, they're 40 years old or whatever, <laughs> uh, you know, mm-hmm. they, they take their first trip in a long time back to college or back to high school and you can just sort of re-experience it, Right. You're not necessarily comparing it to where you are now. You're just kind of uh, this, this. is what comfort food is about, as well, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember when I used to eat this, and uh, you think about what you were doing. Maybe you think about your grandparents. Oh, yeah, that was that was good. I didn't have to worry about all. The, you know, I, I right. didn't have any worries Indeed. or concerns. Yeah.
0: You you look at you look at the popularity of a show like Stranger Things, and that's yeah. that's that's got some nostalgia going on there. It's it's not sure. it's not just the story, or you could have said it in any time period. It was it was that they really yes. executed this eighties vibe. So, I thought it was uh, very clever so well.
1: to to have Winona Ryder uh, star in it because she's sort yeah. of iconic of that time period.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and yeah so it seems it it seems like people um people do have a lot of fondness for these Mm -hmm. nostalgia certainly you get around the holidays uh uh, christmas will be coming up in in no time flat and that that always seems like a big nostalgic time you reflect on you know some of those early gifts that you got as a kid Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and uh those family gatherings and and and, you know, I, I think that that's, that's, that's wonderful. Um,
1: on the other hand, you know, that, that sometimes, you know, like people will play on nostalgia, uh, frankly, for their own selfish gain. So I would argue, and other people have argued, my apologies to listeners who may of a different political orientation, but what what is make america great again
0: oh yeah oh absolutely um yeah we don't need i mean no apologies necessary uh (laughs) or offered um i i i think that you know well this is this is so let's dissect that a little bit because it's i'm wondering i'm wondering if maybe you could help me um uh keep from spreading my own misinformation i remember seeing something somewhere about some nostalgia research that has stuck with me and i don't remember the source and i question it but keep on spreading the information anyway okay and it's that as people seem to age and get older that that um that it it there's there's something with the aging process that seems to have people looking at the past with a more rose-colored um lens and kind of remembering those mm-hmm, fond mm-hmm. Christmas gatherings and forgetting the like it's easy for me to nostalgically look back on happy childhood memories. Mm-hmm. It's also not that hard for me to intellectually go, oh, I was an absolutely miserable child from yeah. the age of 10 onward. I was life life was a nightmare for me from the age of about 10 to 23 sure. I hated all of those years but I can look back at all of that time and pick out little nostalgic things and and my and so this some of this research that I, I remember I don't even remember what it was but it was saying you kind of lose I don't know if it's a self-protective thing or whatever else but mm-hmm. through time you you lose sight of all of those how challenging the uh, some of the far past was and you just kind of hold on to those little gems from the past more yeah absolutely uh i can't
1: give you um i can't give you a specific citation but uh i mean there's certainly a lot of research that that suggests that, that that's how people uh you know deal with their experiences even uh you know uh after uh, a very small amount of time so i do know uh daniel kahneman and uh, barbara fredericks uh did some work on something called uh peak end experiences
0: where, i love where, that work where,
1: oh, okay so you know you know exactly what i'm yeah, talking but, but, but about Say say
0: for the listeners though. well
1: i mean it, it's 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 this idea that people um you know p- people will remember uh the peaks or the most um positive aspects let's say of an experience or or of a vacation Uh, because of a recency bias they're also more likely to remember the last thing that happened to them and uh you know this always resonated with me because uh you know any chance that i can get and and i don't get that many chances but let's say that i have funding to do this uh, (laughs) I, I, I love to fly to other countries. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've been to a few places, you know, I've been to Italy and I've been to Venice and Germany and uh, Barcelona, and a number of places like this. And um, they're wonderful experiences, but uh, it is really painful to make those uh, trips. Okay. There's a tremendous amount of preparation that goes Mm -hmm. into uh, going overseas. It's very expensive. Uh, I don't know about you, but. um, It can be
0: stressful and confusing. I've I've done a lot of international travel. I
1: I don't really want to sit on a plane for 10 hours. Yeah. You know, it it gets a little. Sure. I can listen to a book on tape, I can watch one of the on flight movies, but. It's like, could we could we land now, please? Uh, Yeah. And and I've been subject to all sorts of things that I'm sure everybody else experiences. Um, I've gone all the way to the airport, you know, getting ready to go home. And they said, sorry, like canceled, you know, try Mm -hmm. again tomorrow. And it's like, I already closed up my hotel. Like, I don't have anywhere to go. (laughs) Right, Right. Things like that. And those things suck. Yeah, those things suck at the time. Sitting in an airport for twelve hours, eighteen hours, and yet, you know, you'll come back, and once you get back, you're like, "Yeah, that was great." You know, uh, yeah. we we tend to push those things away, and and, and we remember the, the the peaks of those experiences. It's, yeah, it's interesting yeah. that our brains do that, given uh, our brains. Uh, sort of countervailing tendency to to ruminate and uh, focus on negative things. When it comes to these kinds of experiences, um, that's what people seem to do.
0: Right. I mean, there's also uh, there's also uh, I, I feel like part of nostalgia must have to do with um, kind of some self assessment. If I if I look back on my career, like I kind of. I kind of um fell out of love with traditional comedy a, a long time ago and I just use it to like e- explore other things and do science communication and do various themed shows and challenge myself in other ways and do podcasts and put together festivals and stuff. Uh-huh. Stan- I wish I still liked stand up it's the thing that I'm best at but I just don't care anymore and uh and but I but when I get in like a funk about it I often reflect back be like oh but look at all these opportunities that are created for me look at how much travel i got to do look at all these amazing people that i've got to meet in my life and yeah. uh and then and i i get to but then it can also make me feel like oh well i had a lot of buzz going for a while there and then i kind of went this other direction and the, and and so it can yeah. like you said it can be better bittersweet and i i do i do sometimes think about you know as someone's getting older, and if they're looking back on things with this rose-colored lens, with also having kind of you know, you have this embodied cognition where your perception of the outside world is is being impacted by how you're feeling on the inside, which you're in a you're in a body that is falling apart and no longer at its peak and declining. That's clearly, and you're going to probably project that. Just like when I'm hungover, I think the whole world has gone to shit. Um and when I'm feeling better, I I have a better perception of the world. And so if you're if you're falling apart, you're getting older, your your best days were when you're in high school or in your twenties or you know, decades, decades earlier, and then you go, Well, what's what's wrong? What changed? Life used to be so good, because you're forgetting all of the trials exactly. and tribulations that you faced along uh, along the way and then you go well what's different and then there and then anything that's different is usually these like pretty salient social um issues within a culture that's always um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. continuing to progress and then you go well it must be these this this progression of social life that's ruined everything or these newfangled computers, or you, you just, you, you just go, what, what has changed from the, those good times from when Christmas was Christmas. And, right. <laughs> and then, and then of course you want to make it go back and make it right. great again, because it was great. Cause you forgot how bad it was. Have you ever seen uh, midnight in Paris?
1: The uh, Woody, huh. Woody Allen movie with Owen Wilson? No, really um, independent of what your feelings about Woody Allen might be uh (laughs) this was one of his best movies um owen wilson probably uh woody allen often cast uh the person in the lead role to to basically essentially play him and owen wilson probably does the best job um it's really a a terrific movie about nostalgia essentially uh to make a long story short he's in paris uh i think he's going to get married but she doesn't seem like the perfect, uh, fit for him. And he's kind of a dreamer. He's a writer. And so, uh, not very traditional and he wanders the streets of Paris. And then one night, and I, I know that this is going to sound corny, but, um, a limousine drives up and Ernest Hemingway is in the limousine. Uh, and then they go and they go meet all of these other you know, writers and stuff like that. But what's interesting about the movie is that Owen Wilson is having a fantastic time, uh, in this era of the 1950s that he'd always romanticized because this must have been a simpler, you know, a simpler time. But he, uh, meets a, a woman who, who lives in the time period who's like, this is an awful time period to live in. Um, I've always wanted to be. Uh, I always wanted to go visit uh, La Le Grande, Le Grande Epoque, which is basically this like eight, late 1880s, 1890s France, where there was the Moulin mm. Rouge and Toulouse-Lautrec was sitting there uh, painting dancers and stuff like that. So to her, there's nothing special about this time period. That's the time that you want to go to. But then anyone who's living in that time, they're like, actually, the, the best time would be going back to, to so-and-so. And, and, it, and, it, and so it just it, – it speaks to this notion of nostalgia that, you know, uh, we always believe that there are a better set of good old days, you know? Yeah. And that the good old days that you think were the good old days, well, actually, those are actually the bad old days uh, for someone else. They'd prefer to go back in time. And this is all because of our brains you know tendency to erase what you said you know the memory for the challenges and and things Mm -hmm. of that nature
0: yeah and and people way back when they must have been you know smarter more perfect and had more foresight and everything else before every the whole world went to crap and so the more we deviate from you know (laughs) ideas of, of, of that are 200 or 2000 years old or whatever, the right. the more in trouble we're going to be because we're getting further and further from those perfect deities that founded our country or whatever else. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so, it, so it, I, I would, I would love to know a little bit uh, more about, um, well, I don't know. I don't know where where I want to go here, because I, I want to know a few more, a, a little more about some specific studies. But also, I love talking about conspiratorial <laughs> thinking. <laughs> mm-hmm, and I haven't in a while. I don't know. What do you. Uh, well, you not, know, some uh, of your work that you'd uh, like I'd to love chat to about. talk
1: about uh, uh, conspiracy
0: theories let's get and, let's and, get into uh, it a little bit.'t we, we don't have it. a ton of time uh, exactly. left, but but I, I'd like to get into a little bit right. of it. yeah that'd be and, great.
1: I, and I should say that i I've come to uh, well, I think i've I've always been interested in conspiracy theories. I, I actually was never sure how one would uh, study them uh, rigorously. And then lo and behold, just in the last few years, Um, there are really a handful of researchers who've done a, a a terrific job, you know, finding a way to, to look at these and look at the relationships between, you know, different sorts of, uh, different sorts of attitudes or which, you know, what are the underlying motivations behind conspiratorial thinking? So I've, I've come to this relatively, uh, relatively late, but I'm, I'm running a lot of
0: studies and. Me too, but I'm into it now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, to me, um, you know, so I'm kind of interested in the, in the development, you know, so what, what, how is it that people, um, you know, come to believe these things in the, in the first place? Um, again, I, I, think that most, uh, you know, a good deal of the work is focused on, you know, things like, well, uh, when people are feeling, um, Uncertain, uh, they have a need to uh, understand the world. Uh, there's sort of an existential crisis, you know, like COVID, uh, for instance. Um, there's a relational component to it as well, uh, to the extent that you know you derive um, you know good 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 feelings from being in a group that uh, you know believes in a certain thing, right? Um, Flat Earthers, right? For example, uh, I, I, I watched. Um, there's a documentary. It might still be available on Netflix called "Behind the Curve," and it, it takes a close look at these folks who believe that the that the Earth is flat. Okay, and uh, I'm sure you'll agree that we know uh, objectively that that the Earth is is not flat. It's round. Uh, it. <laughs> it's an oblate spheroid, as it turns out. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> What I found interesting about that is that uh, th- th- they're actually very clever people who understand how to do scientific research. And they do a, f- a few studies uh, that are so well designed that they would in fact provide evidence if they worked for the things that they believe in. So they run one experiment just really quickly. Uh, another one of their beliefs is that the earth is not actually rotating. It's just, it's just still. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they design a a study to show essentially that uh, the earth is not rotating, but the the study is so well designed that um, if the earth is rotating, there'll be a particular effect. And if the earth is not rotating, then there'll be another kind of effect. And so they do the study and they look at the, they look at the data It would take a while to explain what they did. I can't remember the specifics, but they look at it and it shows incontrovertibly the earth is rotating
0: with their own studies that they designed.
1: Yes, that's what's beautiful yeah. about it. They actually conduct the research, but still they gather around and they're like, huh? Well, then I guess the experiment wasn't good enough. We have to yeah. run a better experiment, right? And so, you know, you, you you question why would people do this? And I mean, I, I think that there's some uh, comfort <clears throat> uh, from from being in a in a small group of people who are really sure that they know the answer to a question. They actually are equipped to test their theory and. Uh, to show that other people are wrong. And in order to maintain the integrity of that group, you know, and the benefit that they receive, you know, just from being in a particular group and being accepted, because most other groups won't accept them. They must feel like they're outcasts in some way for their beliefs, that it's, it's unfalsifiable. So they'll just keep designing better and better experiments that show evidence for the prevailing theory, but they just like being part of this group that's going to continue to investigate this thing. Who knows for years.
0: I mean, also uh, <laughs> don't you think there may be a factor too, that, that, that it's your, are in fact, showing your in-group solidarity yeah. by, by incurring a, honest you know it's an honest signal when you're incurring uh conspicuous costs on yeah. on yourself and mm-hmm. you know becoming an outcast to the rest of the world or or and and therefore kind of the more far-fetched things that you can go along with the the greater the strength of of the bond that you're displaying in terms of unity to the in-group absolutely yeah i would think yeah
1: absolutely i think that's what's going on Uh, just in terms of what I, what I've been thinking about, um, I'm, uh, uh, I'm trying to focus more on, you know, what sorts of, um, maybe belief systems or kind of thought styles, uh, are more likely to lead to, you know, this kind of thinking. And Mm. one of the things that I find interesting is how people deal with uh coincidences okay and there's of course a running joke <laughs> in the culture where you're where two surprising things happen or two people make the same joke at the same time and you say coincidence right
0: and yeah. that's funny and yeah. uh,
1: well yeah. it, it turns out that you know you can you can um there there are a lot of people who want to believe and actually, I, I believe I'm one of them. Without necessarily having a religious connotation, it would be nice to know that there is some pattern or order in the universe, even if you don't believe that there's a major deity that's responsible for it. Okay? Yeah. So when, when coincidences happen, uh, people really think about them. And Uh they are attracted to the idea that, in fact, really nothing happens by accident. Uh, That there are no, you know, either there are no coincidences or perhaps um, a lighter, you know, take on that is that there are some meaningful coincidences that go beyond coincidences. They're they're not random. Mm -hmm. There is some kind of force in the universe and to some extent, they'd like to believe that everything happens for a reason that's Mm -hmm. that's really the the phrase right there's a reason why things happen okay Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be deity but this idea of just pure sort of you know things can happen you know two things can happen at the same time and it might just be random you know is is hard to swallow
0: uh, and and, and uh, yeah. well, in, in combination with us, you know, an individual being the central character in all of our own stories yeah, and exactly. books. And, and so like these things are happening to us or for us or because of us. Yes, uh, too.
1: exactly. So like so here's where actually uh, I link to this, uh, you know, career long interest in, in, in counterfactual thinking with um, the beginnings of linking suspicious uh, coincidences to conspiratorial thinking okay Mm -hmm. so what i'm going to do is i'm going to tell you a story now this is actually a true story what's interesting about the story is how people have reacted to it over the years uh so this is the story of a football game that was played in 1940 uh i don't know if you've heard heard of this before uh Uh between boston college a major football power and Holy Cross, which is a liberal arts institution, but they're very close to each other in in, in Boston. Um, this used to be a meaningful game in part because it was like, uh, you know, it was the uh, the snobby, you know, it's all right. It's okay. You will work for us, You know, you'll all work for us someday. Liberal arts people at Holy Cross, you know, versus Boston college, which is this, again, this huge football power. Now, every year, right, Boston College would routinely crush Holy Cross. In this particular year, 1940, Boston College wasn't just good like they normally were. They were actually the best team in the country. They were undefeated, and all they had to do was win this silly end-of-the-year game against Holy Cross, and they would go to the Rose Bowl and play somebody, and... Everybody thought, you know, they were going to be national champions, right? So this is not a game that you can lose. I mean, this mm-hmm. is like a minor league football team or a high school football team playing a major college champion. Yeah. Of course, you know where I'm going with this is that yeah. not only did Boston College lose, but it wasn't <laughs> even close, uh, the final score was. Oh, I thought
0: they were gonna crush them just as expected, and you just picked a random year for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> that
1: would be a great. Uh, yeah. That would be a great story, and that would be like. A really, that's got Really a ironic. You like,
0: should do it, but it's about the, <laughs> it's about the year before, and then you go well, but also here's this year afterwards right. that's a little bar. There, there would this be some <laughs> great. Yeah, it would
1: be ve- like some great irony just there. Where you just tell this
0: that.
1: bland <laughs> yeah. story. And then just leave an awkward silence there. And then <laughs> yeah. they won. And then they won, of course. And then the silence for As a minute expect. and a half.
0: <laughs> right. Anyway. <laughs> um,
1: so, well, it turns out that they lost. Uh, and the score uh, yeah. was something like 51 to 12 or something. Okay. Wow. But. Yeah. Okay. I'm, o- I'm only, you know, just getting started with the. Uh, yep. Okay. So the kicker is coming. So. You know, and you can't make these names up. The Boston College players, uh, every year, they reserved uh tables at the Coconut Grove Nightclub in Boston to celebrate the end of the year crushing of Holy Cross. So they had reservations for this place that night. But they were so distraught that they lost this game that they were like screw it and they all went back to their hotel rooms or whatever okay Mm -hmm. the next morning they wake up and learn that a fire began in the melody lounge uh basement of the coconut grove nightclub it's actually a famous fire in and of itself because it turns out that there was no escape uh It changed the laws with regard to fires all basements have to have two modes of escape and you know there were there were only the stairs so So something in the neighborhood of like you know 500 to 750 people died in this horrific fire right so every like 10 years or so the (laughs) boston globe runs a story to commemorate this event and it's always told the following way um they lost for a reason yeah yeah so when you hear about the fire it's like oh you know now i understand how they lost a game that they couldn't have possibly lost they lost the hands of 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 fate right you know took them away from uh the fire and, and and certain death and, uh, you know, when you when you he hear the story uh, gets told, it, it is kind of creepy, actually, you know, there, there is a, a creep factor there. So anyway, uh, we've used this scenario and asked people various questions about it. And uh, we have a control condition where they they read about Boston College losing, but they're not given the information about the fire that they almost died in. It turns out that when you tell them the second half that they almost died in the fire. They're more likely to say, oh, um, I understand why Boston College lost. Uh, I believe that it was fated that Boston College lost. I believe that it was destiny. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those people are are more likely to say that when they're told about the fire that they almost died in than people who are simply told about the uh, football game. Now, in terms of conspiracy theories, like, I feel like there's, there's something about this that reminds me of conspiratorial thinking and putting, um, making something out of coincidences, right? And tr- mm. making a random coincidence seem meaningful. So what we did was we just asked people, we just exposed people to the one version where they read about Boston College losing and then they read about the fire. And just looked at people's reactions to the question to what extent do you believe that everything happens for a reason you know after reading about this event and the higher people's scores are on that measure uh the higher their scores are on measures of uh conspiratorial (laughs) mentality the extent to which generally people say they don't trust the government and things like that um and also specific uh, um, conspiracy theories as well. Moon landing was a hoax, a JFK, more than one person was involved, etc. cetera. So I think what we're beginning to see is that this kind of taking random events and, um, you know, trying to turn them into something meaningful, right? Yeah. Uh, becoming suspicious, maybe. It's suspicious that this happened and this happened on the same day. To the extent that people kind of like to do that and 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 make meaning in that way i think that that's you know one of sort of the cognitive you know mechanisms that, that underlies you know people developing conspiracy theories yeah i i should mention that a, a lot of times people believe in conspiracy theories because you know uh people like alex jones tell them Right? Yeah, that this is something that's right. happening. Sandy Hook was fake, you know. Things like, and they that. feel
0: like they're in like a Scooby Doo, like they solved a Scooby Doo mystery or something by getting this privileged information yes. that yes. no one uh, else.
1: Right, and so if they if they put something together like this, I think that there's a real aha uh-huh moment, like that's what's going on, you know. Yeah, it's a whole whirlwind of, of.
0: I mean, you have you have. Correlation and causation getting mixed <laughs> up with it. Uh, so I, I'm bipolar, so I've I've had full blown manic episodes, and I I've been I can relate to apophania and 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 cr- and cr- yeah. imagining far too many. Uh, a, a uh, it's actually quite amazing mm-hmm. how uh, how many connections and associations a mm-hmm. uh, mind can make and. And also um, uh, coupling it with, um, you know, like kind of a narcissistic you being the center of, of the hmm. of the thing happening. And like every every billboard you see is like, well, I know what the billboard says, but there's also like a special message. Like just, hmm. just for me, it's like it's a like trail a, of breadcrumbs mm-hmm. that you're solving. It's
1: like a delusion and, of reference.
0: Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They're absolutely. playing the long
1: and winding road on the radio because... They know that I'm on a long, unwinding road. Party.
0: <laughs> exactly, but it's it's so <laughs> it's such a convincing because it's emotional. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's such a it's such a convincing feeling, and that hmm. and, and then you have like a I, I mean, especially this is I I did a a nice little dive through pandemic history, and it seems like this conspir, conspiratorial thinking just goes along with every single pandemic in history. It's a, it's amazing, and and it's you you have. Uh, predictability and lack of control being two of the biggest stressors that we can face compounded by the things that we've been talking about which is our ability to imagine um, you -hmm. know fantastical scenarios and think far into the future and and everything else and then again it's it's like like, yay cerebral cortex yeah uh, uh, (laughs) superstition comes out we just did a wedding episode on mind under matter and Uh I realized looking through the traditions that so many of these uh, these These origin stories of traditions were hyper superstitious and it must be like, you know, you're making this very long term commitment at a very early age back in the day that for the rest of your life, there's a lot of unknown uncertainty going along with that. And then, Mm -hmm. uh, of course, a lot of superstitions has halloween right around the corner you have it used to be this is the harvest before the darkness of winter and store up everything and everything's going to be brutal so make an offering to the spirits and all this stuff and Mm -hmm. and superstition just seems to go along with rain dancing or whatever else goes with with droughts for uncertainty and and stressful uh stressful times and it's just what a what a perfect storm the last several years have been for conspiratorial thinking and you have (laughs) the you have like the you had a conspiratorial president it was like one 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 step like you know alex jones was one of his advisors yeah exactly and uh, and oh my goodness it's yeah it's it's amazing and it seems like a lot of projection too it's also amazing to me that um
1: so many people uh don't care yeah i I think that bothers (laughs) me even more it's like (laughs) it's so obvious what's going on here and um, people are like yeah you know that's (laughs) <laughs> that's absolutely so, right. We're, yeah. yeah we're just going to go
0: along with that <laughs> in the hopes so. that I'll get like a better paycheck this year or something like that. Yeah, I'll maybe. Like, oh, maybe I'll get three more, 300 or more dollars in my mm-hmm, bank account. Mm-hmm. You won't. Uh, it's unlikely that you will, but Tucker Carlson, by the way, is incredibly good at this.
1: He is, yeah. he is super clever. And if you ever watch him, uh, you know, do his sort of long, you know, monologues on, on Fox, uh, he'll do this, where you know he'll start talking about one thing, and then it'll be something else, and then there's a third thing, and he spins a narrative, yeah, uh, that's very compelling. You know, yeah. he's just very persuasive the way that he puts it all together, and I could see being mesmerized by this, like, oh my god, you know, I'm 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 seeing the truth for the first time.
0: Yeah. Connecting a lot of dots. (laughs) Well, I mean, I call myself an epiphany junkie and I, and I truly am. I will, I will, uh, I will read. I will watch a lot of boring lectures and read a lot of boring books and things just for those moments, those aha moments when it's like, Oh my goodness. Now I'm going to see the world differently. I've never thought of that before. It's It's such an uh, addictive it's tra- feeling it's
1: transcendence you know uh, it really I mean, is i think that's and what people are looking for and experience
0: i know it's what i'm looking for and if you can get it and if you can get it in the manner of some like cable news junk food uh <laughs> you know ver- version of it i mean yeah you can kind of see the appeal sure. That, and it's like I, I mean also you know the the power of like those guys at fox here but i mean they're They're preying on the right demographic, which is people that still have cable. (laughs) So you go like, well, people that are still using cable regularly. What type of person is that? All right, they don't adapt uh, overly quickly, and and probably aren't interested in newfangled things, and etc.
1: They've probably been watching for so long; it's probably become part of that like dopaminergic reward pathway. You know,
0: yeah, like you might actually
1: feel a little off. You yeah. know, like you're not experiencing oh, yeah. the usual, you know, uh, dopamine uh, drip. Um, it's how if my you sweet grandma has for a decided of days.
0: to spend her final years is is, is mm. by just obsessing about that stuff instead of yeah. sharing wonderful recipes and being the grandma that I <laughs> used to remember now <laughs> addicted to those things. Uh, yeah, it happens. Yeah. But. Yeah, I think they're, I think they're really addictive and uh, I, it's people, people have a hard time with that falsifiability thing. Cause I, I can usually be tell people like, well, so it's just, I don't, I don't like, I try to stay away from beliefs that aren't falsifiable. Whereas like you and I bet on something, there needs to be one way that you and I, uh, can decide who the winner is of, mm-hmm. of this bet. So you can like look back at whatever moon landing thing or something like that. And if there's some piece, there has to be some piece of evidence right. that you, or, or round earth, flat earthers or whatever, like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to run this test. And if yeah. it says this, that the earth is round, I win the bet. If it says this, that the earth is flat, you win the bet. And I concede that deal's a deal and then but it's still you yeah. move the goal post there's just no way that they can ever forfeit that bet it,
1: it seems like the best that that you can do uh at least as far as we know is to not frame it as um you know it, a competition. it's possible to prove that 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 you were wrong or of, of course the the more powerful. I mean, what what usually happens is you get into an argument with somebody and, of course, you wind up screaming at each other and saying, that's crazy, you're stupid, that's wrong. But
0: and then, in then other they words, say, I've changed my mind. It took you calling me stupid <laughs> right. to realize right. the error in my right. ways. And that's <laughs>
1: actually the the, uh, the therapeutic uh, intervention that no one's thought of for all these years. <laughs> right? just tell people that they're wrong. Yeah. But, uh, you know... Uh, It seems like uh, if you if you approach it, you you don't want to incite you know reactance. People don't like it if they feel like you're trying to say, okay, so actually, you know, this is the way that you should think. So you you can approach it as, okay, so maybe there are a couple of different. I mean, you know, you know that this isn't true, but it's better than nothing, I guess. Okay, so it looks like we have some different theories uh, about this. Why don't you? Talk to me about you know the evidence that you have for your theory. Um, I respect your theory, your belief. But let, let let me let me tell you why I, you know, think the way that I do. And um, I think there's a little evidence showing that if you can kind of approach it that way, you know. Also, um, sadly enough, making these sort of you know scientific or philosophical abstract arguments uh those don't seem to work so well but but g- give them an anecdote Now we yeah. know that one anecdote of information is actually uh incredibly undiagnostic of anything but if you say something like hey you know uh you know my grandmother uh got sick with covid the first time uh, she nearly died um so she got the vaccine and uh you know and she's compromised with all all of these different kinds of problems she got the vaccine she's been wearing a mask uh she didn't get it again for a year and a half and then when she finally did get it uh it only lasted for a couple of days right
0: Mm -hmm.
1: now we know that that one example doesn't (laughs) is not an argument but people are will actually be like you know uh that's interesting I'll consider yeah. it. So like, you know, what a whatever we can do. You know, if we can say that's your theory, this is my theory, or here's a story about 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 grandma who you know, it seemed like the vaccine really helped her.
0: I know I mean it's 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 tricky <laughs> it's tricky accepting anecdotes into like a measured discourse because then then, you know, every anti vaxxer that I know, they're they're just everyone that they know it, it, like every day of their life is just them stepping over the bodies of vaccinated people. Just every yeah. everyone they know who's been vaccinated is now crippled in the streets and ruined their And it's just... It, I I don't know a single person that's had a a, like much of a negative reaction to a vaccine, but any anti-vaxxer who was against it from the onset, it's just every single person that that they've met. It's amazing. But at the same time, you
1: know, from their perspective, um, you know, people are are saying you have to, you have to take this vaccine. It works. Yeah. And well, uh it didn't work apparently for somebody that they know.
0: So, yeah, right.
1: that's some pretty convincing evidence to the contrary. So stop right. telling me you know, this is the way you need to think. I've got evidence that yeah. says you're, you're you're wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think they had that evidence before they had that evidence which was I think it was fake evidence. But uh but yeah, it's it's I I mean I was I was just just hours ago I was um I had an interview with somebody who was uh, asking me about the, the difficulty and like tricks with communicating yeah, um, science through comedy and just uh, science, science communication generally. Mm-hmm. And I brought up anecdotes and, and how, cause I, I, I had written, I have an album, my big break. Uh, and, and I, I had written a hour of material that I was touring with about, Uh, The negativity bias and the evolution of negative emotions and pain and Mm -hmm. some of the utility in them and depression and those sorts of things. It was going well. And then I broke both of my feet and spent like nine months uh, where I had to be on crutches on stage and um, and integrated that into an already existing act with just (laughs) adding a few things. And it was a night and day different. It like absolutely crushed once I had the personal story oh, yeah, of sure. the broken feet to go along with it, even though it was essentially the exact same act.
1: Oh, that's but the level of
0: response that I got was was uh, went went from good to absolutely amazing. Okay. And um, and that's that's what I was kind of telling this person a few hours ago, which was like. Everything that you need to communicate science to the public is the opposite of how science is done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, scientists uh, scientists hate anecdotes of their work. They're right. they're trying to strip themselves of their uh, of their human biases and get outside themselves and see things from this uh, this uh, alien anthropologist point of view and and you, you know strip everything human. Uh, away from because humans are faulty and muddle up uh testing objective reality yeah exactly and then but then you go to communicate it and those are all of the things that you need to communicate a good thing to a bunch of storytelling social creatures that love a good anecdote Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly (laughs) very difficult
1: that's our highly developed brain again
0: yeah well th- this is terrific well i'll I'll have to have you uh, back on again sometime because oh, sure. I, I just i feel like we could have we could have talked for two more hours about all this stuff sure. very easily this is a lot of fun so thanks again for coming all the way to the camp out festival and everything i and had a really good time it, it was out. great yeah it was, really it was a it was a blast having having you guys and uh yeah and and thanks for coming on the show and Absolutely. thank you listeners for being such wonderful curious people until next time